Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of A View from the Clock End podcast on the Arsenal Way. I'm joined, as always, by Football London's chief Arsenal writer, Kaya Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good, you well? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Tom. I've had a few days off, so feeling nice and refreshed and ready for the, the final few games of the season. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, I was saying to email this morning on the morning show how it's the first time I've done one in a in about two weeks, I think. So it's uh yeah, it's good to be back and doing stuff and creating shows. And it's good to have the podcast back as well after we both had some time away. A lot's happened, um, it's it's fair to say, during that time. I think the last time we did a pod, we were fairly you know, pretty comfortable in terms of looking at that Southampton game uh, and thinking, oh, that's a great opportunity to get three points and how the Man City game could be a great opportunity to go towards the title. And it's it's kind of all changed quite a bit. Just a bit. Um, that Man City game did not go to plan, did it? Oh, well. I don't think any of us really expected anything different. It was a tough night up at the Etihad. You and I were both there. We were both sort of head in hand for the majority of it, uh, just about consoling each other through what was a very difficult 95 minutes there was just no stage in that game where Arsenal looked like they were going to win it and it was a real real heartbreaker for Arsenal because it's it's the kind of performance that doesn't really do justice to the way they played this season they've been fantastic all season and this was the first match in which you really felt they were properly outplayed by their opponents and you got to credit Man City they were the better team Arsenal were obviously not at full strength but they were pretty close to it and the issues with Rob Holding is something we'll get onto in a bit more detail in a bit but I think that caused Arsenal problems. Personnel-wise, they had problems and they couldn't cope with Haaland and De Bruyne. And quite simply, Arsenal didn't look like they believed they were going to win that game. And at the end of it, they argue, you could argue, sorry, that they didn't look like they believed they were going to win the title. And it was an interesting one going into the press conference. Obviously, I wasn't there for this one because I had some time off. So you were there in my place, Tom. But what was what was the mood like there? Was, was Arteta upbeat was he jubilant because I know after the game he seemed a little bit down he, he seemed a bit sort of you know we'll fight on and all that stuff you'd expect a manager to say post-match but he did seem low it's, it's, it's probably the lowest I've ever seen him yeah I think there was still a, a feeling of that carrying over somewhat but I, I do think he was still bullish you know I think he was in a headspace of, yeah, he was asked the question a number of times, the figure of 247 days came up, you know, being that that's how long Arsenal had spent at the top of the table. And his kind of message was that he wanted to make it 248 uh, with a win, obviously, against Chelsea. Whether that would extend to 249 and beyond very much depends on how Man City going to get on against West Ham at the time of recording. We don't know that result. Um, and obviously, I think Arteta was has gone back to the just focus on the next game, the next training session. You know, we can only control what we can control, which is our own results. And the league's been taken out of our hands at this point. And they're all very well aware of that. He was also very keen to... to to kind of emphasise how it wasn't a difficulty getting the players up after the game and that they've responded very well. And I think we saw that, you know, in the game against Chelsea last night. Um, we were both there, but we were there in different capacities, as you say. Yeah, I do want to ask you briefly, you've obviously not been to the game as a fan for a long time and I experienced the, the fan-going experience when I was in Chicago last week away from the Emirates, but, you know, surrounded by fellow Arsenal fans and being there as a fan... I feel it's something that you take for granted very quickly when you can be in there and enjoying it amongst others. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, listen, there's perch to the press box. You go in straight away. You don't have to queue. You don't have to queue to leave afterwards, which I had forgotten all about. And I was frustrated <laughs> by food. <laughs> uh, free food is there. Free drinks are there. It's warm. Um, Wi-Fi, monitors, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um yeah, but listen, there's there's nothing quite as good as being up there, I think, as a fan. And you can scream and shout whatever you want. And I got a lot of that out of my system. That was quite nice. That has been about a year's worth of pent-up Arsenal rage just, just go all out in one afternoon or one evening. And yeah, it was nice. I thought, My one takeaway, really, and I was at the women's game as well on Monday as a fan. My, my one takeaway, really, was just how bad VAR is as a fan if you're not there with the monitor in front of you VAR is a nightmare because you have no idea what is going on I think maybe that doesn't get covered in the press so much just because we don't have to deal with that with the monitors being in front of us we can see the decisions pretty much straight away but for example with the, the handball shout Chelsea had last night I had no idea what was going on and part of me missed it but part of me wanted an instant replay and all that kind of stuff and yeah it was different it wasn't, but it wasn't handball <laughs> it wasn't I knew handball. immediately <laughs> nah. no 
Well, no, everyone understands no. what it was, and everyone understands. Was very confused for a very long time. Uh, but yes, it was. It was. It's a great experience. It's great to be back among the fans. It's great to be back, like where I sat for God knows how many years, going as a as a fan with my family. So it was really nice. Yeah, really nice evening. Yeah, uh, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I was, as I say, in the States, in Chicago, enjoying it with a lot of American supporters uh, in a small place called the Globe Pub. And, you know, anyone that ever questions, you know, the the commitments, uh, the passion uh, that fans abroad have, have ever shown, I suggest going and, and watching it with them because they are a very passionate bunch. Um, and it was an amazing experience. So when those, the second and third goal against Southampton went into equalize it at the end, it was a, a chaotic scene. Glasses were smashed. People had fell over. It was a, it was brilliant, um, dangerous with the broken glass, but it got sorted out fairly swiftly, but it was, it was brilliant to, to experience it all. But yes, uh, yesterday's game. Um, and it all kind of, I suppose the, for me the nerves were actually settled because there was nerves because you know you go into the game after four games without a win and you're thinking how we're going to approach this nerves settled i think when lineups came out and turned into a bit of intriguing excitement actually because seeing some of the players that we've not necessarily seen start too many games coming into the side kivior trossard Jorginho, all of our january signings that you know that we made um but i think the key one was kivior and uh I know that you've had some reservations about Rob Holding playing uh, of late. Was you pleased to see Kivior in place of him? I wasn't sure at the time because the idea of two left-footed centre-backs is just something we never really see. The only example I can kind of think mm. of is at the Euros where Spain played uh, Pau Torres and Emmerich Laporte in the same back four. That's mm. kind of the only time I've seen that. And I've spoken to a few coaches about the reason why you never really see that and why that's not really a thing. And, it's largely to do with the fact that left-footed players tend to stay on the left side of the pitch in their development. And then when you throw them into the professional setup, they're not really moved over to the right, whereas maybe right-footed players, because there's so many of them and so few left-footed players, you tend to see them more on the left-hand side. So that happens a lot with centre-backs. And Arteta's very particular, isn't he, about having a left-footer on the left and a right-footer on the right. So I didn't think it was going to happen. I have to admit, I was caught by surprise by that decision. Um, I agreed with it in the sense that Artesta explained it before the game, didn't he? He said it needed to be done. They need to change something up because they were conceding too many goals. And Rob Holding, for uh, all his sort of abilities in terms of being a good defender and, listen, Chelsea weren't very good. And I think he probably would have had a decent game last night anyway. But I do think something needs to change. I just think Rob Holding doesn't give you that sense of security that Arsenal really needed, that sense of composure that I felt give you a brought, but it was, it was exciting. And it's, it's always nice to see a, a fresh face and it's always good to change things up. It brings something new to the team and Arsenal were in a bit of a funk and they needed something different. And yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was good. I think, I think a good change to the back line. Yeah, I was impressed. We did. We ran a uh, dedicated scout report throughout the game on on Kivior that's that's available on Football London if you want to read it. And you know, after a brief moment of concern in the first minute where he lost a bit of a, a jewel, uh, he came back strongly. And I think actually his his anticipation and reading of the game really stood out. Um, timing of of runs and challenges, but were good. Aerially, I still think there are question marks a bit. You know, I think he needs to work on that and his timing of his jumps and positioning on those. But when the ball's on the floor and he dealt with Aubameyang and, and Raheem Sterling, I thought really well as well. Um, Thomas Partey was dropped, deservedly so, do you think? I mean, he's been pretty poor the last couple of games. Yeah, I was one of them who thought that maybe they should have thought about switching to a back five at the Etihad or a double pivot, just something to give him a bit less work to do. And listen, we remember the Southampton game for the fact that he took that shot right at the end, but I thought he actually played okay against Southampton. I didn't think he was great by his his high standards, but I don't think he was as bad as everyone made out. I think he was basically asked to do that ball-progressing role from deep, which Rob Holding was supposed to be doing in Saliba's absence. And he was essentially playing two positions and he had to do that all over again at City. And when you're doing that and you're defending against, because every time that press got beaten, you're defending against mm. Haaland, De Bruyne, Silva, Grealish, Gundogan, Rodri coming forward every now and again. That's very difficult. And he was basically on an island having to deal with a lot of that on his own each time City went forward in transition. You know, I don't think he was good in dealing with that. And I think he's dealt with that kind of stuff better in the past. But I don't think Arsenal's tactics helped him. I do think they needed a bit more control. And this was a game that they were clearly going to dominate because Chelsea are what they are right now, which is not a very good football team, despite the fact they have very good football players on the pitch. They just have a terrible manager and a terrible setup behind it. And 
kind of embarrassing the way they played, but I think Arsenal needed to take advantage of that. And Jorginho felt like the kind of player who could help them do that because he would help them control possession. And quite frankly, it's again, it's, you talk about changing things up. It's not something Arsenal have really had the luxury of doing. They've not been able to just switch things up. If a player has been in bad form, they've had to play through it in the past. And now they've got options. And I think that's that's what you want. If you're looking towards matching Man City in the coming seasons, then you need a squad. You can't just have a first eleven. and Arsenal are getting better at that. And Jorginho coming for Partey and, and playing very well is a, another example of that because he's he's been, he's barely put a foot wrong in an Arsenal shirt and I think he deserved this chance. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that he was calm, composed, um, did all the necessary work that was required of him. Is is it going to be? Is it fair to say that Chelsea didn't offer loads in terms of a challenge? Probably, you can say can probably be said for Kivior as well. And if we if we do start indeed both of those players at Newcastle, it's going to be a very very different test. Um, but I think they both made certain claims that they deserve to be considered for that game on Sunday. Uh, and Trossard was the last one. He play starts, we win. That's now eight successive games in a row. He started that we've won. He didn't start any of the last four games that we dropped points in. Is there something to be said about that and maybe that whatever happens, we need to find a place for him in the starting lineup these days? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Arsenal have looked better with Trossard on the pitch every time he's come on in those four games that uh, mm. they didn't win, maybe Anfield aside, because he came on relatively late in that game. But even then, he was involved in setting up that, well, sort of setting up that Saka chance right at the end. It's unfair, I think, on Martinelli that he was the one to miss out because of that front three, he's probably been in the best form recently and Jesus has dipped in and out. I thought he was a bit poor against Southampton, wasn't very good at the Etihad either. Saka's been a bit off it the past couple of games, but I think maybe that's partly still the fact that Arsenal are attacking more down the left than the right. Martinelli was the one who missed out and yeah, it's, it's tough on him because he's the top scorer this season, I think. Um, he has been in really good form recently, but how can you leave Trossard out of the team right now? Arsenal as a whole looks so much better with him in there. And I think what he does is just everything he does seems like the, the smartest thing to do in that situation. He's so composed in everything he does. And like you say, he needed to be on that pitch and they need to find a way of getting him in there. But that meant it had to be at Martinelli's expense. And I wonder if maybe we'll talk a bit later about what this means for the Newcastle game. But he was he was really good again, Trossard. And listen, it's it's a... I've asked him about this and he said, look, it's a nicer problem to have, believe me, with these exact words. And having four very good forwards and, you know, a few beyond that and the likes of Smith Rowe, Vieira and Kessie, all good players in their own rights. Reese Nelson too, who looked pretty good when he came off the bench. Those kind of players, you need them. You can't just have three. Again, we're talking about you can't just have the front three. You need a bit of a backup. You need a few options to rotate and Trossard's given them that. And who knows, maybe Arteta will break the habit of a lifetime and, and drop Bukayo Saka and... and on Sunday at Newcastle because he wasn't at his best last night either, I didn't think. But I can't see that happening. But, you know, the option is there and that wasn't there before. And it's testament to the, the January business with Arsenal have done. Like you said, they, they signed three players. All three started last night. All three have given them the options that Mikel Arteta wants within his squad. And all three were, were pretty good, I thought, yesterday. Yeah, I, I thought they were. Trossard, you know, is an interesting one because of the record that we have when he plays. He just always looks like something's going to happen when he's on the ball. We look more dangerous. I agree with you, Martinelli of the three would have been the last one I probably would have dropped uh, for him, but it's probably the most natural option, I guess, and that's maybe what a, the victim of that situation is for, for Martinelli. Um, in terms of the game, we started... It was funny, Scott, uh, who's next to me during the game, our, our Chelsea writer, Scott Trotter, said, do Arsenal tend to start fast? And I was like, yeah, if there's one thing you can tend to guarantee, especially at the Emirates, if they can avoid making a silly mistake passing out from the the back, um, they do tend to start games fast. You think about, you know, obviously even away from home at Anfield in the West Ham game, but the Liverpool game at home um, and other games this season where we've just come out the blocks and, and looked to score early... And that was the case again. And whilst it felt like it took time for us to get towards that first goal, we did start, you know, with intent of kind of reacting to that game against Man City, it felt like. Yeah, I, I felt so. I thought it was a good start to the game. And I didn't think it would take a lot to knock them off their stride, which is why I was so surprised with how defensive Chelsea were. And again, caveat it with the tactics that Frank Lampard chose to employ. They Chelsea went out on that pitch, a beaten team. They played N'Golo Kante as the furthest forward man, which, you know, in a Champions League second leg against Real Madrid, kind of fine. But you're coming to an Arsenal side who have not won in four games and 
are looking like they could be shaken confidence-wise and Chelsea have a lot of players who could have caused Arsenal problems, but they chose not to use them, essentially. And that played into Arsenal's hands. And to be fair to Arsenal, they took full advantage of it. They were really, really good from the from the get-go. And it was the kind of response to Man City that, like you were saying earlier, Mikel Arteta basically promised in his press conference. And I think they've got themselves into a position where it's outside of their hands now. And I do wonder if maybe they've been liberated by that because past few games have felt so hectic and the West Ham game for example was, was just so roller coaster. Southampton yeah. was even more so and City was obviously pretty devastating a nice calm game like this just felt good and it felt like what Arsenal needed and from the get-go that was that was the way it went they started fast and Chelsea had nothing in response no they didn't um it's probably the worst team I've seen play at the Emirates uh in short this season um I thought they were terrible um, and you know, I was talking to Scott, and I felt a little bit like you know, he's, he's it's it's easier, I suppose, when you're not like a, a fan of the club that you cover, like we are in the case of Arsenal. But you know, he's he was talking to me saying that he's he's not been able to watch Chelsea play a game live that they've won since November. You know, we've <laughs> to a fair number of games, and that kind of really does highlight uh, the issues that are going on there. The first goal, Zinchenko had what I felt a little bit of a, a slow, slower start. And, you know, he gave away possession on the left-hand side, a couple of misplaced passes we've seen. And that, I think, got a lot of fans on social media suggesting, oh, see, this is why Tini should have started. But then he plays that inside ball, that pass that he's so good at picking up and I spotting the space. And it kicks off a move that obviously ends with Xhaka playing a lovely ball through across the box between and behind Chelsea defenders for Odegaard to show the composure that I wish... And I, I can't believe I'm saying this for a guy that's got 14 Premier League goals, but I wish he could show more composure and do what he did because his finish was excellent. The first goal just, I think, highlighted exactly what's kind of been missing in some ways, the confidence and the free-flowing football that maybe we've lacked somewhat in recent fixtures. Yeah, it was a really, really good finish. It was kind of the only place you could put it where I think Kepa wouldn't have been able to, <laughs> to put it in. And the ball was slightly behind him as well. So to be able mm. to sort of dig it out slightly from under his feet and still get the the power and the, the accuracy on it. It's, it's really difficult technique. And yeah, fair play to Martin Odegaard. It was a really good finish. You mentioned Zinchenko there. It's interesting. I, I read your play ratings after the game. I thought you were quite you were quite kind to Zinchenko. I, I didn't think he had a great game again. But yeah. like yeah. you said, the what you lose defensively with him, and maybe we can talk about that when we come on to the Chelsea goal, you gain so much offensively. And listen, Kieran Tierney's a great player, but he can't give you that progression from deep. He doesn't play those kind of balls. He doesn't offer that sort of incision. And that is what Zinchenko brings to the party. And Jack is getting so much better in the final third with each passing week. He is a, a player who is really, really being decisive in the final third. He was involved in all the goals. And I think the the most exciting thing about this season for Arsenal is, is players have gone to levels that maybe none of us thought they really could. And... That is fascinating in a sense that you wonder where help what Arteta is doing on the training ground to get the best out of them. But it's also exciting from an Arsenal perspective because you start to think, well, even if you know the title race doesn't work out or yada yada, next season there's there's still levels to go to, and people look at Xhaka as someone who could be improved upon. But it's not necessarily someone who needs to be dropped from this team. He's such an important part of it, and he's playing so well this season. And Listen, in the in the offensive third, he's, he's making so much of a difference, and I think that's that's really good. And he played a massive part in this goal, and yeah, big big goal for Arsenal to to sort of shake off all the all the bad vibes from from Man City. Yeah, speaking of bad vibes, uh, the Ashburton Army was absent from the first thirty minutes, so we didn't have the same level of drumming going on, but or the increased atmosphere. However. Because they missed the first goal, some of them may have wanted to see a replay of that first goal. Well, they were treated to effectively what was a replay of the first goal with our second goal because it was exactly the same. Xhaka across the box to Erdegaard after Zinchenko kicking off the play on the left-hand side. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've seen goals scored by the same player that looks exactly the same. I think Thierry Henry finishes. I think Thomas Partey curling from outside the box. But in the same game, in the space of such a short space of time, I can't think of a time where two goals were scored that were pretty much carbon copies. I wonder if that says more about Chelsea's inability to solve that issue. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. In the sense that it was, it was such an obvious problem because Jack drifting wide was causing them so many issues and those late runs into the box. If you look at the goal, I think Chelsea have something like eight men in the box, but none of them pick up Erdegaard, which is insane. And 
<laughs> listen, Arsenal were fantastic in the sense that they, they took advantage of any uh, any sort of space that Chelsea wanted to give them, any sort of boost that Chelsea wanted to give them. But my word, Chelsea are a bad team at the minute. But we're an Arsenal podcast, so let's let's focus on the positives of that. And another good finish from Erdegaard, another goal for him. And I think he's been decisive in the final third again. We were talking about Xhaka being decisive in the final third. Erdegaard's been big. Um, big in front of goal again and it's, it's big I, I just I keep saying the word big he's been important for Arsenal in front of goal and uh, he's making a huge difference and it's something I don't think we necessarily saw from him last season he scored a few goals here and there I think it was 12 goals and assists last season whereas this time he's got 22 and that's the sort of contribution you need to be making if you want to be winning the Premier League as a midfielder and Arteta has spoken in the past about how I remember in reference to Emil Smith-Rowe he spoke about if you want to be the number 10 for Arsenal, you need to be getting something like 25 goals and 15 assists. And Erdogan's not far off that. You know, he's got 14 goals, eight assists. He's he's going to another level, I think. And again, we talk about the Xhaka reaching levels that we didn't know he could. Erdogan's going, I think maybe some of us could have seen this coming because of how good he was last season, but he's going to another level. And again, decisive loss uh, in the final third, massive in the, in the final third. And he continued that throughout the game. The goals were two cherries on top. He had a really good performance. Yeah, I was talking to James Benj in the, the press conference room after the game and he pointed out to me that that second goal uh, takes Erdegaard one away from Robert Pires's goal contribution uh, in the Invincible season. So that kind of gives you uh, a feeling of around kind of the level that we're seeing from our young players. You know, this is Pires in his, in his prime, you know, in the Invincible season. Odegaard, 20-plus goal contributions. Martinelli, 20 goal contributions. Gabriel Jesus, 15 goal contributions. Saka, over 20 goal contributions. You know, we're talking about around 80 goal contributions from those four this season, um, which is an incredible return. I'd like to see maybe more from the number nine. That's just me being a stickler and looking at what our rivals for the title have in their number nine position, which skews things somewhat, certainly. But... It's an amazing return and certainly one of the big reasons why we are where we are. Um, the third goal, uh, again, kind of highlights the involvement of, of Granite Xhaka in, in the final third. It was interesting because actually at the start of the game, he was the person who had the first chance that we had where Azpilicueta kind of failed to head the ball back um, to Kepa. And similarly, I think it was a cross from Bukayo Saka that goes over the head of Azpilicueta and is chested down. Eventually, it obviously lands at the feet of Gabriel Jesus after some more comically bad defending from Chelsea. But Xhaka's involvement in these kind of areas is is it a, what do you think of that position for Xhaka because a lot of people feel that that's the area of the midfield that Arsenal can look to upgrade upon and yet Xhaka's been so important for us during this season yeah I think he's earned his right to stay in the team but there are as much as I was saying before that maybe he doesn't necessarily need the, the upgrade that um, everyone seems to think I look at Declan Rice and do I see Declan Rice making that sort of impact in the final third I don't know just yet I, I wonder if these he goals might... against Ghent yeah oh, no, what a listen, goal scoring goals at the minute but I mean in terms yeah. of do I see him having that composure in the final third maybe he's at a team in West Ham where he doesn't get to the final third that often in terms of just the role he plays on the pitch they often sit him a lot deeper and he sort of plays in that defensive midfield position I wonder if when he came to Arsenal, if he'd, if he'd be in that eight or if he'd be a bit deeper in the six. When he came, comes to Arsenal. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I've got to say, I've got to start speaking hypotheticals because it's not done yet. I mean, it's, it's looking closer and closer by the by the minute, but it's definitely a case of if and not when uh, for, for Declan Rice. But if he comes, yeah. thank you for calling me out. Otherwise, that would have been a, a whole social Yeah, oh, I've got you. Yeah. <laughs> Aggregators would have been all over me. Uh, if... Declan Rice comes in the summer then I can see him playing as the eight but I can also see him playing as a six and it's interesting Jacker they haven't signed a new deal for him yet so he'll have one year left at the end of this uh, season I think he has an option to extend by another year if Arsenal take it up if I'm not mistaken Jorginho is in a similar position and Arsenal obviously have Thomas Partey in the deep midfield role he's of a, he's uh, sort of getting closer to 30 so maybe that's what they're looking to do this Declan Rice deal obviously Caicedo is a player who they they continue to sort of have a little bit of an interest in not as much as in January but you look at that and you start to think maybe they're looking to to evolve the deeper line position but right now that left eight position it's a position where Granit Xhaka has kind of made it his own and you can't really suggest that he deserves to be taken out of that position so 
if Declan Rice comes in, he's not a guaranteed starter in that left eight. He's not a guaranteed starter in the six. But again, we've spoken about how with the subs who've come in, Kibio, Trossard, Jorginho, they give you options. And Arsenal are going to be in the Champions League next season. They need players to be in those positions who can come in and maintain the level. They can't have such a drop-off like they had before. And I think this is a big difference between being a Champions League team and being a Europa League team. You can't sort of have two separate 11s. You sort of need to have one set of maybe 19, 20 players who all can contribute to the first team at a very high level. And Jack is definitely going to be a part of that, whether he's starting or whether he's coming off the bench. And yeah, he's proving that he's, he's got a lot to offer to this team. And again, if Arsenal go on to win the league, he'll be a, he'll have been a crucial part of it. So he's won the fans over, but I think, you know, he deserves even more praise than he's been getting in the minute because last night he was decisive in the final third yet again. And I think it's telling against Southampton, he was absent against City. He wasn't fully fit, I don't think. And you get a fully fit Granit Xhaka back in this Arsenal team and it looks a much better side. It does, absolutely. Um, and although, as you say, we're looking to try and strengthen and should we do that, it doesn't look like Xhaka's going to go anywhere and that's created a lot of competition in that in that position. And one of the players that looks like will befall the fate of poor timing is Charlie Patino, who, as first reported by David Ornstein at The Athletic, you know, it is expected that he will move on in the summer. Um, last week, uh, last week, yeah, last week. Uh, it's amazing how time flies these days. Uh, last week, I chased up on that line and, and spoke to someone close to the player and who confirmed that this certainly to be the case and, and highlighted that it is indeed the timing of the situation that is just unfortunately led to Patino not being able to really see a pathway into the Arsenal first team and a move elsewhere uh, is more beneficial when you see stories like Jaden Sancho and I know it's not necessarily gone well at, at Manchester United but you see him obviously the pathway into the Man City first team when he was in the academy there not apparent go to Dortmund to become one of the best young players of his generation at the time because he's playing regularly at a really important age to get regular minutes and has that stability of knowing that he's going to be there for the foreseeable until he leaves you know that I think maybe is is, is Sean for, uh, for Patino and, and unfortunately Arsenal are going to lose out on him yeah it's a difficult position for Arsenal. I think they've they've kind of left it a bit too late in the sense that they had the option, I think, to try and start new contract negotiations with him after he came on last season. He got that goal and he was at the peak of his powers and he was in and around the first team pitcher. Obviously went on to start at Forest. I think they should have tried to get the deal done then. Then they would have had his uh, long-term future tied down and maybe they'd have been in a bit of a stronger position when it comes to negotiating for Patino. Now, as it stands, that they obviously extended that two-year option that they had on him in January and that means that he'll have two years left in his deal he's not on an awful lot of money right now but it means that they probably won't get the kind of fee that he may have been worth and I think most Arsenal fans will probably say look we'd have loved to have seen him stay for another season on loan and then maybe gone after that but if that happens and he doesn't want to stay still after that season on loan then he would have been in the final year of his contract and Arsenal wouldn't have got a value anywhere near what he's worth so they kind of pen themselves into a corner there and Patino, he's he's you know he's represented by some very smart people. He's got a good unit around him, and I think he's very aware of the fact that he needs to be playing minutes at first team level in order to to make that step up. He's had a, a good season at, at Blackpool, not not a great one. There were there were great periods, but it's it's been highs and lows, and it'll be interesting to see where he does end up going. He's obviously got a, a Spanish passport, so he can go to Europe quite easily. There's been reports of Barcelona being interested, but you know there's reports of Barcelona interested in pretty much every player who's ever kicked a football. So yeah. I, I'd love to see him go to a, a team in La Liga and do really well out there. I'd love to see him go to a team in Europe and do really well. I'd also love to see him stay in the Premier League. So I wonder if Arsenal can maybe look at inserting some sort of buyback clause in there or if there's maybe a sell-on fee they can look at getting. But it does seem as though this summer is going to be the time to sell if they are going to do it. And he's got lots of interest from clubs across Europe. And I think he's a really good player. And it'll be a shame to see him go. It's a bit similar to the Flo Balogun situation where... In the Balogun situation, Arsenal have got themselves a bit, a bit of a better hand, sorry, but still, it's going to be difficult. And maybe we'll need to see some of these these younger players go. And you look at what's happened with Chelsea; they've let a few of their younger players go because their first team was too full at the time. And it's a good way of making funds for the academy. I spoke, uh, I spoke to Per Mertesacker before the FA Youth Cup final last week, and he admitted that look, it's going to be something that might have to happen is that they need to generate funds for the first team. He referenced Joe Willock, he referenced Alex Awobi and how that funded a lot of big signings in the summer for Arsenal. And it might be a similar case if Flo Balogun and Charlie Patino do end up leaving and they earn Arsenal a decent bit of money, then I don't know, maybe that's half the Declan Rice fee if they decide to, to get that done. Yeah, indeed. No, it's 
it is important that Arsenal make sure that they start turning around these sales to to more uh, serious figures because the ones of the past, you know, have not been enough, I think, to convince people that Edu is is at the peak of his powers regarding negotiating sales of players. We've seen some good moves. Joe Willock, you know, 25 million for him, you know, getting closer to 20 million pounds for Emi Martinez after just 12 games in the first team uh, consecutively. Um, and obviously we've seen other players in the past move before like Alex Awobi and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain going for big fees too. So we need to start trying to see those types of figures come back to the club. And, and I'm sure that Patino amongst others will hopefully get Arsenal significant capital to reinvest in the squad this summer. Uh, turning focus focus and attention back to the game. Um, the second half was, uh, it was as I kind of expected it to go, I'll be very honest. When teams tend to get like a quick and significant lead in the first half to and a clean sheet, you do tend to see them kind of drop a bit and kind of manage the second half somewhat. You know, you think about Newcastle's game against Spurs recently where they went 5-0 up in the first half. Things certainly dropped, you know, in the second. And I think even Arsenal have done that themselves this season with getting a significant lead. Now, we have known that two goal leads for Arsenal are a bit dangerous. Um, but it seemed that the three goal was enough for them to feel comfortable in dropping off a bit in the second. And that led to an opportunity for Chelsea or two. Yeah, the best thing about having a three goal lead is that it means you can't blow the two goal lead. So Indeed. that worked well. It was smart yeah. from Arthur really getting that third goal. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I watched Granit Xhaka's post match interview after the game, and he sort of referenced the fact that they, they were speaking about going and getting the fourth and the fifth, and how the half time team talk was focused on every goal could be decisive in this title race. And I was a bit disappointed that Arsenal didn't keep going. I mean, they had a few chances early on. There was obviously that one that Thiago Silva cleared off the line from Gabriel. And, Jack himself had a chance relatively late in the game where Kepa made quite a good save, but it, it did feel like they took their foot off the gas a little bit and Arteta made changes relatively early, took Trossard off and brought Martinelli on, I think, around the hour mark. And uh, it just seemed to slow down the momentum and Chelsea seemed to get a bit more confidence and they started coming forward a little bit more. And I do wonder if them coming forward a bit more and trying a bit more in terms of not allowing Arsenal to have so much control of possession, maybe meant that Arsenal had a bit more of a game on their hands and maybe they saw the way the game was heading and thought, you know what, we'll try and see this out with the result. And yeah, it was. I personally was a little bit frustrated by it just because I felt there were a lot more goals there for the taking and in the London derby against the Chelsea side, who have caused Arsenal a lot of pain in the past. There was a big chance for them to, to really put them to the sword and I didn't feel like they took it. Uh, maybe it's nitpicking on a night where they, they won quite comfortably and they got back to winning ways and there's so many positives to take. But I just felt that they could have maybe gone bit more for the kill than they did in the first half and yeah I think they left some goals on the table which is a little bit frustrating given that goal difference could be massive I think for the for the title race yeah, good we'll have to wait and see you know City are if we are going to obviously get this down to goal difference are going to have to drop points um, and so to do that you got to concede goals or not score them um, and so yeah you're right just to bring up goal difference it's, it could be a critical thing come the end of the campaign and when you've just conceded three goals a three goal difference to City and a 4-1 defeat you know you need to try and claw that back as best you can and we've gone some way to doing that but more work is is needed uh, the, the Comedy of the evening was provided by Chelsea's, not just Chelsea in general, but Chelsea's individuals, particularly Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, who I enjoyed being uh, ironically cheered during the, the shooting drill warm-up that Chelsea had so when he had a shot saved. Uh, everyone cheered, <laughs> which was hilarious. And uh, I think that was a bit of a sign that, yes, I think he is going to be booed quite roundly, um, which... Uh, I'm not sure I would have done, and I'm not judging those that did. I just think, you know, I'm not particularly a, a booing type guy, um, to be honest. But uh, he, also the contribution he made to help us toward that FA Cup was significant. And yes, how things ended weren't great. Um, and with the, all of the support Arteta has right now, I can see why it happened. But yeah, both him and Mudrick. Mudrick again, another one. I not don't really get the boos again with a player that did want to come to Arsenal and I think that the reason why he didn't come to Arsenal lays more so at Chelsea and Shakhtar than it does him so um, what do you think of the the bants as as I know you've described it <laughs> With, yeah multiple Zs um, yeah it was it was funny the, the funny thing about Bamiang is he probably got off quite lightly from the booing but that was largely because he only touched the ball five times and I think four yeah. of those were kickoffs so <laughs> he got off pretty lightly with, with the booing. Mudrick, on the other hand, was a bit more subjected to it. And I thought Mudrick actually looked pretty decent when he came on. His final product clearly needs a bit of work. But when he's running at the defence, I was petrified. Ben White looked petrified. It's the first time I've really seen him properly 
roasted if you like by a winger but his, his final ball just needs a bit of work but clearly you can see the reasons why Arsenal were so interested I I'm not someone who subscribes to the whole Boo Bamiang thing I, I think he's he's I think like you say he was a good servant to Arsenal and it wasn't really anything he did actively wrong to the club that made him uh leave in the way he did it wasn't as though it was it wasn't a similar case to uh, I don't know Van Persie where Van Persie thought he was moving on and moving up from Arsenal yeah, and Bamiang was was kicked out of the club essentially and I think it stems a lot from the whole BT Sport thing last time wasn't it where he said nothing personal Arsenal and maybe if you're a former player who moves to Chelsea you're always going to get a bit of a booing but Fabregas seems to get away with it and I wonder if in a few years time maybe Aubameyang will be looked back upon a bit more favourably I think Maybe that that BT Sport advert was was something he'll regret, and maybe he'll do a few interviews saying, "Look, I loved Arsenal and all that kind of stuff," and all will be forgiven. But yeah, the Mudrick one, I get more in terms of the booing him, just because it was so clear, and he really led Arsenal a bit of a merry dance with working so hard on Instagram to want to come, and then it didn't work out. But I think if you look at how much Chelsea paid for him, and if you look at the the player he is now, and not the player he will be. And what Arsenal needed now in terms of someone to come in and help with the title race, they needed a Trossard. They didn't need a Mudrick right now. And the money Chelsea has spent on him and the eight-year contracts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not really worked out so far for them. But uh, I think he'll, he'll become a good player under a better manager. But yeah, I, I wasn't surprised to hear him booed and I did find it a little bit funny, I have to admit. It was the hours to say, I'm not one to boo, but... It was. Uh, it did make me chuckle when it was going down. Before we move on to part two, and it's quite a nice segue, actually, the last kind of thing to discuss in the game was the frustration. I found it a frustration because Gabriel Magalhaes went down on three occasions, stayed on the field, um, and uh, it led to quite a concern, obviously, when he came off. And a number of people online dropped us questions. Uh, I think you had a tweet from Mohamed asking if Gabriel is out for the Newcastle game, would you fancy Tierney starting at right centre-back or left centre-back rather than Holding and uh, I had a question come in as well from uh, at uh, Gurav uh, at Gurav underscore Chaka who says any news on Gabriel's injury if he misses the next game do we go to a back three with White Kivior and Tim it's basically do we do anything not to play holding is the question we're getting at the moment but what do you know about the Gabriel situation and uh, and where we go from there yeah so the explanation of the fact that he kept going down and kept carrying on was it wasn't a muscular injury so it was it was an ankle injury and it's it's one that he sustained in the collision with I think Aaron Ramsdale in the the Madueke goal and he gets sort of clattered by Ramsdale and it sort of just falls weirdly on his ankle and those sort of impact injuries normally are ones you can run off and Gabriel's normally he's he's a he's a hard guy you know he can handle that pain and he he seemed like someone who was quite keen to just run it off and I think Arteta was keen not to disrupt the back line any more than necessary but he's he's looking good he should be okay for Newcastle is what I've heard. And um, yeah, it's a positive update. Uh, he was able to receive some treatment in the changing room after the game. And he even went and conducted some post-match media. I think he did some stuff with some Brazilian and some French outlets. So that will suggest that he's, he's looking fine. And I think he'll be back in training uh, either tomorrow or, or today, whenever it is that they, they choose to train this week um, with the recovery schedule. But I think he's going to be okay. I think he just took a bit of a blow to the ankle and Sometimes those are a bit difficult to, to run off. Uh, I think it's a bit similar to maybe when earlier in the season after Forrest and Bukayo Saka had to go off because he just took too big a whack. Similar vibe to that, but he should be fine for Newcastle. So we can save all the sort of holding uh, crisis management, I think, till another game where I've clearly I've jinxed Gabriel, so he'll be unfit for the Newcastle game. But yeah, what I've heard is that he should be fine for that match. And it's a, it's more of an impact injury than anything muscular, thankfully. Yeah, that is good news. Yeah, Arteta spoke after the game in the press conference, said that he doesn't tend to go down um, too easily. Um, so when he did go down, it was, I understand what you're saying about like not disrupting the back line. There is always going to be part of me that goes, look, if he's not okay, just take him off. Like, you know, just, and you've I got agree. The, I agree. You know, I, agree. I, think they should, yeah. I think they should have taken him off. If there was any sort of semblance of a doubt, they were threw one up, they weren't going to lose at that point. I, I agree. Mm. I thought they should have taken him off. And I, I actually think we talked about second half not really going to plan and maybe dropping off. I think that did disrupt the momentum of the game quite a bit because it added a lot of time on and created a lot of stoppages. And I don't think it was it was wise from Arsenal to keep him out there. I think they had left footed sense back on there. Rob Holding can see out a three one lead and yeah, I think it would have been fine. 
indeed um as i said that segued quite nicely to uh part two um do you want to go first or i'll let you go first if you've got anything uh yes uh yes i do except i'm now looking at your tweet rather than mine here we go uh jack at zazzy ihd says and prepare yourself you can only pick three who are you signing in the summer <laughs> we get there's only four games left now mate we've got to come to terms with the fact yeah. that transfer season is back bring it on bring it on <laughs> who are you picking three players to choose from Oh, I thought you were going to give me a list of uh, no, players. Sorry, 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 sorry. Jack's given us a complete, like, clean canvas oh, to blanche. choose from. Wow. And I'll say you have to keep it good. realistic. Uh, ah, okay. Um, okay, so I, I clearly think after last night, Arsenal need a right-sided centre-back to come in and bridge that gap between William Saliba and whoever it is that comes in. Kivio will look pretty good, but he's left-footed, so he naturally plays balls in field and... I was looking at the pass combinations from last night. His biggest pass combination was Gabriel because he kept playing back across that side of the pitch and again to Jorginho. And thankfully, Jorginho was on great form, but you want someone to help distribute down the right-hand side. And I know I said Saka was off form, but I think a lot of that was because a left-footed centre-back was playing and they couldn't get the ball to him. So a right-sided centre-back. Um, Mark Gay is a player who Arsenal are interested in and they're, they're looking at. And Edmund Tapsoba by Leverkusen is another player I've written about today in a piece and... They've looked at him in the past. I like Tapsoba, but he'd be very expensive. There's, there's plenty of other right-sided centre-backs out there. Does need for Leverkusen, I think. I know he's right-footed, yeah. but he's played yeah. a lot on the left side, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Saliba was playing on the left for San Etienne, so I think that change can be made. Um, it's, I, like, I like those two, but I think mm. essentially it just needs to be someone who's good on the ball. I think they can cover the defensive deficiencies in games against pretty much any team except Manchester City but what you lose on the ball is so important for Arsenal particularly given that they've become so good a team that they now spend most of the game in the opposition half. They need someone who's good on the ball from deep. So yeah, um, one of them uh, probably I mean, I said when Declan Rice earlier in the podcast so he's definitely got to be on my radar and Listen, if, if Arsenal can get both Declan Rice and Moises Caicedo, I'd absolutely love it. I think they'd be two really, yes. really fantastic players. I'm not fully convinced that Arsenal need another elite forward in the summer window. Maybe you, you reassess in January and see how desperate the need is. But I would, I'd love to see Arsenal sign uh, Moises Caicedo and Declan Rice. I just think that that solves two positions so well. And I watched Caicedo in that. I know we've spoken a lot about Declan Rice earlier, so I'll speak a bit more about Caicedo. But I watched him in that FA Cup semi-final against against Manchester United, which, you know, is probably one of the biggest stages he's played in his career. And he was he was sublime. He was just so good. He was winning the ball back so often from Manchester United. He was great in possession. He didn't lose the ball. It's almost the exact kind of player that Arsenal needed at the base of the midfield. I have to admit, I hadn't watched him in depth much before that game, but I really, really took a liking to him on that day. So, yeah, a player like that would be amazing if Arsenal, if Arsenal can get it. So, yeah, that'd probably be my three. Uh, taps over Rice and Caicedo. But that's not me saying when or that they are signing. It's just saying that those would be my three in a in a hypothetical scenario. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I'd also have Rice and Caicedo. I'd love to see that's just such a great you know addition to the squad and what a level up that that brings and what you know options that gives us. For me, I look at right back a little bit more than I do right centre backs. I think it obviously opens up Ben White being a potential option to cover Saliba if we need him to. Um, I like the players who've been linked to. I've done a lot of extensive uh, pieces now on Fresnado, who I, I like and think is a really good option. I think he fits the mould of what Arteta wants from a fullback. Um, we've been linked to um, Wrench, uh, who I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of, Ajax. Uh, a brief uh, kind of look into him. Looks like an exciting player. Um, so, yeah, there, there are options in that fullback area. I think that... Arsenal ultimately need to find something that is different to to Ben White because I feel as though we've been the amount of times we're in a position where we take Ben White off and bring Tommy Asu on and nothing really changes um, is a bit of an issue for me um, and I'd like to see us do more to kind of add some variation and some difference into that position. I've been suggested before um, Feyenoord's Gertrude, uh, who is a 22-year-old Netherlands uh, senior international now, who's had a brilliant season for Feyenoord, who are at the top of the Eredivisie this year. Um, 
quite a versatile player who can also play, believe it or not, at centre-back as well. So uh, he's one apparently to keep an eye on, uh, according to people that have, have been giving me tips on transfers constantly. But yeah. Uh, and the other one is Sasha Bui, who we've been linked to at Galatasaray, young French player um, as well. So there's options. Man United are being linked quite heavily with Jeremy Frimpong, who I've liked since he was at Celtic as well. So um, he's very much more offensive-minded and probably wouldn't give you that same level of... Um, disciplined uh, defensive side to his game but uh, maybe we need something different uh, if we want to change things so what I'd say on the right back situation is Arsenal do have two very good right backs coming through the academy in Royal Waters and, and Britton Norton Cuffey uh, mm. I know we spoke about pathways before and Tommy Aston and White are already there but Waters in my opinion looks ready to go in the first team I think he's, he's, he's getting to that level he's only 18 and I, I don't know if they'll send him out on loan next season but I think he's going to be a player who's, who's really really promising and Norton Cuffey's had a slightly more difficult season out on loan, but um, yes. Rural Waters, he's, he's the one I, I think, just keep an eye out for him over the summer and hopefully into next season because I think he can he can make an impact for sure. Rural Waters, I think, you know, pre-season is going to be big, maybe alone. Um, that said, you know, you look at the players that make it from the academy and you think of Saka and think of Smith-Rowe, you look at Saka in particular, didn't go out on loan you know Smith Rowe did but it was only that six months at Huddersfield and obviously some time away at Leipzig where he barely played you know you I feel as though the the, the most exciting talents are the ones that make it almost immediately don't need the loan they step up into the senior side and get those minutes so we'll see but uh, I know Nketiah and you know has obviously gone on plenty of loans Nelson went on loans as well and as I've mentioned there Smith Rowe did too so uh, there are multiple ways into the senior side. But yeah, Brooke Norton Cuffey, from speaking to people at Coventry, um, they felt that like you can see the Premier League player in him, but there's a lot of refinement that's still needed um, in his game. So uh, that, I think, will require another loan deal. Uh, we'll see. But yeah. Um, have you got a question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one here on Facebook, which is... Uh, would you guys consider throwing Kieran Tierney in for the next game? Zinchenko, we spoke of this earlier, but Zinchenko mm. offers a lot in attack, but his defensive liabilities are becoming a bit of a problem for Arsenal. They've caused problems in the Southampton game, the Liverpool game, and last night as well. Would you consider dropping him? I would consider it for this game in particular at Newcastle. I think the last three games of the season... Um, when we play at home twice and away at Nottingham Forest, I think you can afford to be a little bit more, you know, adventurous and Zinchenko brings you that going forwards. But going away to Newcastle and seeing how good Jacob Murphy on that right-hand side has been in particular of late and the combinations with Kieran Trippier, I think maybe having Kieran Tierney in there would be a little bit safer for us. Do I think he'll do that? No, I think he'll start Zinchenko because that is his guy. And, uh, you know, we've gone to places like Old Trafford and he still started him. You know, we've gone to the to Anfield and he still started him when you think that maybe he would go for something a little bit more reserved. But uh, I would, the answer is yes, I would consider it for this game in particular. But I do think that Zinchenko probably comes back in for the last three games of the season at least. What do you think? I think he's been in a bit of bad form recently. I think it's gone a bit under the radar. Mm. he's a very you see it on the pitch can't you he's very uh, heart on his sleeve kind of guy I do wonder if that has been maybe less helpful now in this stage of the season than it was earlier in the season when Arsenal needed a bit more energy to carry them through I feel like now they've, they've needed a bit more composure and calmness and I think maybe Zinchenko's influence hasn't necessarily helped that as much as they would have they would have liked and uh, these errors are relatively persistent in his game and they are causing Arsenal problems. They have had a lot of defensive issues recently. Do I think that you you benefit more by bringing Tierney in? Defensively, yes, but offensively, no. And if Arsenal go to St. James's Park, they're going to need to go there and win that game. Draws aren't really an option anymore. So I agree with you. Zinchenko probably does have to start that one and it's, it's a tricky one. But I, I don't think he's as, maybe as nailed on as he has been um, for that starting spot. I, I do think Tierney's knocking on the door and Tierney looked good when he came on last night. I thought he, he was a decent cameo and uh, he's, a, he's a very able player if he's, if he's needed to take over. Yeah, indeed. Uh, sticking with Tierney, uh, a question from Olu at Premier League Chat said, consider how much it will cost to get a replacement for his quality, do you think we should keep Tierney and focus on recruitment in the areas that we all have already been talking about? 
Um, yeah, I'd like to keep him. I think if if you if you get rid of Kieran Tierney, or if, if he leaves, rather, I don't think it'd be a case of getting rid. You do need a really good backup, and I've spoken to a few people in and around the club who suggest that Tommy Assey maybe could be that, and a right back could come through, like you've suggested. Uh, City have done that in the past, haven't they? With Cancelo being the backup left back, sorry, the, the left back, but also a player who can play at right back, and that could be something Arsenal look to do. And maybe they bring in another right back, and they've got sort of options along the back line that way. Uh, I think you lose a lot by getting rid of Kieran Tierney. But then again, I don't think he's a player who you can really stand in his way if he wants to go. I think if he does want to go, you kind of have to let him because he's been a really good servant to Arsenal and he's probably too good a player to be sitting on the bench. But again, Arsenal have got themselves into a good position with this contract and he signed it a couple of years ago. He'll have, I think, three years left on it. So it's not a case of Arsenal needing desperately to to sell now. It's up to them, really, whatever they want to do. And if they want to be ruthless with him and say, look, no, you're contracted here, we need you to stay, then they have every right to do that. So... There'll be Champions League next season. There'll be more games where he's needed. And I wonder if, if that will be the decision that comes into it. It might be a case of just availability. If a good left-back is out there and the deal's available to be done, maybe Arsenal look at selling. But I don't know if that's the case. Obviously, they have left-backs in the sense that Tabrez is still a player, but I can't see him having a future at Arsenal. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. I'd like to keep him. But again, if he wants to go, he can't really stand in his way. No, you can't. It's a difficult one. Um yeah, I, I think that he'll continue to be a player for now that is important to the team. But if Newcastle come in the summer and say he's 50 million quid, Arsenal are going to be... That's a, that's a tough test, you know, to, to turn that down, you know. If they offer 50 million pounds, then yeah, fantastic. But I, I can't see that happening for a player with his injury record and a player who's barely played all season. I don't think there'll be much uh, going in terms of the the money that comes in. I think if Arsenal get 30, that might be the, the reason that bidding teams will look to go for. I, th- I did a piece, I think, a while back, saying I think the bidding will start around thirty. But you know, if 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 there is uh, enough kind of wiggle room for Arsenal to get it up to the forties, you know, I think that that would be great to see that that amount of money brought in and profit made on a player that, yeah, you know, is great, but has had his injury records and doesn't start for us at the moment. That would be a great bit of business for Arsenal to do, I think. Still, even if it is to a rival, that's that's my only worry with Newcastle is I think that's a genuine threat to Arsenal and Tierney. You can see being a success like Trippier has in that team. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'm out of questions. Do you have any left? I am also out of questions. Yeah, that's it. We're out. <laughs> and that means we're out of here um, but thank you to everybody that has contributed uh, to today's show with questions uh, we'll try to be uh, more prompt in getting a tweet out we know that we leave it to the last minute sometimes but make sure you're following Kai at Kai at 97 turn notifications on so then you can find out when he's tweeting and, and when he uh, sends in the request for questions as do I at Tom Canton Media uh, Kai thank you so much for your time mate as always thank you very much really enjoyed this one Tom cheers absolutely uh do make sure that you are liking and subscribing and leaving reviews as well to what as what i've looked at as the numbers as the fastest growing arsenal channel of the last two years uh, which is kind of a, an amazing achievement so thanks to everybody that's continued to support the channel and the work that goes on here and everyone behind the scenes that puts in a lot of shift and grit and determination to get what we see happening on the scene so thank you for that we'll see you again very soon have a fantastic day week and uh fingers crossed for an arsenal win on Tyneside. See you soon. And as always, up the, say up the Arsenal then, but yeah, do up the Arsenal, but certainly keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh!